Welcome everyone to the Sunday Robcast, coming to you on the 7th of February. Um, as you've probably seen on uh, Instagram and Facebook, there was a late substitution with the, the shows. So today's show will be Stefan Laird, who is an ex-pro at Blackpool, and that went on to do his coaching due to injury. Really honest interview, really enjoyed it. Some, Steph's someone I know out with, and I knew he was, his interview was going to be serious and it was going to have that hint of funniness as well, which has really came out of it. So we'll go into that very shortly. Top, top guy. Um, can't can't kind of compliment the guy enough. But And I think it's an interview you really enjoy. Normal normal thank yous out the way nice and early. Um, Grant Campbell of Campbell's Football. So he does my editing of the show. It's been a star for me this week with, a, with Wi-Fi issues having a, causing us to change stuff about last minute. So Grant's been a star in helping me getting all this sorted. Live for CBD, which will do the discount codes at the end in the age clothing. The Capellos for um, the the song as you go into the interview, and then the Tijuana Sun for the end. Um, these guys have been absolutely brilliant. As I'm recording this to go out for the show on the seventh, the the Sunday Robcast hit one thousand listens in the first five weeks, which is unbelievable. A thousand listens for for me, uh, it's just. Unbelievable! I can't thank everyone enough, and I hope it's doing everything, ticking all the right boxes. So we're going to jump into the interview now. Stefan Laird, enjoy as always. Electrified by the Capellos first. Cheers. Episode six of the Sunday Robcast um, interview today with former Rangers youth Blackpool FC Montrose, and then he went into coaching Aberdeen ladies manager, locals every locals youth coach, mod assistant manager, and now he's a hunt assistant manager. Stephen Laird, how you doing, pal? You okay? Very well, thank you, my friend. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. How are you keeping with the lockdown coaching? Still, you still able to work fairly? Yeah, one to ones are still on the go. Uh, within the guidelines obviously so so that's positive um, but yeah same as everybody else quite frustrated want to get back to normal uh, and they won't, people won't be able to hear this but you can see it obviously yeah. drastic hair transformation as well so the girlfriend's been cutting the hair and it went a bit awry yesterday so I'm now hairless so yeah that's a, I thought it, I thought it was Japstam I thought it was Japstam <laughs> jumping on the Zoom call yeah 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 Japstam's <laughs> probably in better condition than me but yeah yeah <laughs> How's the um, how's the coaching with the obviously with the changes and does it change you much? Is it just obviously one one we're asking yeah, one ones may are easy to, to do within the guidelines really. Um, we do yeah. have to come within you know five meters of player. Okay, um, one two. So yeah, nah, there that that's that's quite basic and, and the same story. You can't get some of the examples done the way you would you would normally do, but. Yeah. Everything else, all the technical standpoints are still the same, and then obviously there's no team stuff at all. So that's sort of limited to to analysis work, um, which has been good. Uh, I don't think my girlfriend's and she's maybe watched about three hundred matches uh, <laughs> <laughs> the last few months. Uh, so that's that side of it's going well. Business is doing really good um, because you know you find out who's dedicated now because people need to train. Yeah, uh, who's going to sit in the house and 
and do nothing for six months and who's going to continue to try and try and batter on and improve their own game. So yeah, no, the the, the coaching's still going, just desperate now to get back into the team stuff. Brilliant. So we're gonna go gonna go through your um, career, go down the timeline. I'm assuming football as a kid quite quite early doors. Yeah, well, yeah, as long as I can remember. Yeah. Um I didn't actually play organized football probably until I was like 13, 12 okay. and a half, 13. Um I don't know if that was by design by my <laughs> by my dad or that was just what happened. Uh, yeah. But I played seven asides all the way up um, to that, but it wasn't in a seven aside team. Oh, okay. I used to go to an organisation in Greenock that was well known, to be fair, for producing good players. Um, but we just there just used to be like fifty boys, and you would go and you would get put in a team of seven. Oh, okay. And, and you would play. So so every week you were in a different a different group and a different team. Um, so yeah, I didn't, didn't play 11 aside organised football until, until like probably between 12 and 13. And yeah, that's when the when the fun started, obviously. And started, joined my first boys club team. Yeah. And it all went from there. Were you, were you always a, I know you were obviously, um, you always a centre mid. I know yeah. that's where you obviously played. Now you, where did you start? Probably like everyone at a young age who's maybe slightly ahead of the rest of the group. I was a striker. So, so you just you just got thrown up front and and get told to try and score as many as you could. So I'd spent, then I went. Well, that was seven aside. I was a striker when I moved to Elevens. To be fair, for as long as I can remember, I was I was centre midfield and didn't transition from there until until much further down the line. Okay. Uh, so the seven asides, yeah, it was all it was all attack based. I just moved gradually further back as my, yeah. as, as, my yeah. career, as the injuries built up. I just kept going further and further. <laughs> <laughs> probably need goal if I'm still playing now but they, <laughs> so no yeah moved, just centre midfield and then when I went into to, to the boys club it was it was pretty much centre midfield all the way until the sort of several clubs down the line what um what age did you kind of realise was it in this was it in the seven aside set up or was it when you went in boys club what what age did you realise personally that you were that you were better than everyone else yeah I don't know I mean I could I don't think I ever thought I was better than everyone no. else. Because, because you don't sense a level a level difference, though. No? Yeah, honestly, like I, I, I sort of I think everyone maybe glorifies their own group that they were a yeah. part of and how good everybody was. And I'll probably do that multiple times this chat. Yeah. I just remember this in that seven aside environment, there was loads of good players. Okay. I was I I, I was in Greenock. Um, which was just churning players out at the time and probably and still does, maybe not to the same extent. But it's a real hotbed for for football. And I could probably name maybe 10 players from probably within that seven aside league that went went pro. They might they might not, they might they might not have played lots of games, but they all signed a professional contract. Um a couple of them up at Aberdeen actually. Uh, so it was that was a really strong group. So you, you were aware that you were good. But I don't, yeah. you, you, you're never like I'm, I'm far superior to everybody because the general level was was high. When I went into eleven sites to join my first boys club, I realised I was pretty good then because yeah. the boys club I joined were absolutely shocking. So again, I don't know, if that, I don't know if that was by design by my dad because I'm presuming I probably could have went to any boys club. Yeah, um, but I went to the bottom of the league, so. 
as I'm just saying it, it obviously was by design. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that was to do keep it challenging and, and, and a bit of attitude really and you know work hard coming before any talent and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think I, think, I, I obviously know you out with this and um, obviously spent a lot of time here. I've picked it up on this, so I'm going to ask you the question. I take it your dad was a big influence in you football-wise pretty much yeah, all the way through. Number one influence. Yeah. Still now. <laughs> yeah. Still still now. As I speak to you now, you think, oh, what was my dad gonna think about this? <laughs> <laughs> so no, uh, no, yeah, my dad um my dad played um professionally, he went down to Chelsea at sixteen, uh was involved with Rangers and stuff. The system was different back then. Um sent back from Chelsea, wasn't wasn't as best sort of behaved as he could have been. Okay. Um, so yeah, got into got into a couple of scrapes. And, and got sent home, and then uh, was at Rangers and, and Morton, and I think my, my dad obviously has, has, has done really well in business, and I think realised that as much as he loved it, uh, the route for my dad to make the best life and best amount of money possible for him was to go part-time and, and to kick on with his own business. Ah, okay. Which obviously has worked out well for him, but he's still involved to this day, and yeah, my dad's obsessed with, uh, with football. You know, yeah, he's been a director. He's he's been a head of youth at, at, at Morton. He's been a player. He's been a coach. Um, he never directly coached me. Um, he did, but he wasn't actually involved in any team that I, had, <laughs> that, that I ever played for. And uh, yeah, and still to this day, he's the first person that I phone after a game. He's the first yeah. person's opinion that I listen to. And no matter what ground I was in whatever country in the world, I would I would look into the stand and my dad would be there. So I was very, yeah, very, very lucky. I love that. So obviously boys club, we're fighting through that. You're you're playing well. Who how did the, the Rangers coming at the Rangers Academy come about? Oh, I, I, I got a massive move. I got a massive move in the boys club world before that. Don't want to miss that out. So I, <laughs> I, I started off at Howard. Um which was great. I mean, I loved it. Two or three of my mates from school, we all joined. Uh, and again, my school year at school was extremely talented sportsmen. So, I mean, I think we had two or three that went pro youth with football, professional golfer, professional ice hockey player, professional rugby players. So, we had a really, again, really, really strong group. So, two or three yeah. of them all signed for this team. Yeah, they were at the bottom of the league and we started to gradually climb the, climb the table. There wasn't any tactics. There wasn't any instructions there was a lot of shouting there was things getting thrown there was there was people getting thrown at times <laughs> as well and uh i eventually got asked to go and play for for port glasgow boys club okay and that's when things started to get more serious for me port glasgow are really a really well organized club who had a really really well organized coach and a guy called john watson who, who took me in there and i'll grateful to John for, for the opportunity and I loved it there uh, yeah. Port Glasgow probably as you're aware it's maybe not somewhere you would go on holiday <laughs> but nobody came down there and took anything easily yeah. uh, that team. And, and for the first time in 11 asides I was in a good team Okay. Yeah. Remember, we were, we were going to try and win things but then that's when I started to realise at that point that you know I'm, I'm good uh, I sort of became the sort of main the main man in there. I actually replaced somebody who moved on to Rangers, which was Neil McVeigh. And Neil ended, oh, yeah, yeah. I know Neil. Neil ended up uh, playing up at Aberdeen as well. Yeah. Neil was the centre midfielder for Port Glasgow. He went into the Rangers Academy and I came in and replaced him. And then ah, okay. 
And then after a year, I, I then followed on uh, when, he, when Neil went to Aberdeen. So we never, ah, okay. never actually ended up playing. Um, so yeah, that was the first big move. And then playing there, it was a guy called Eddie Hunter, who was scouting for Rangers at the time. Eddie was the manager of Queen's Park and was sort of a well-known figure in Scottish football. So he was doing scouting for for Rangers and I didn't, didn't know anything about it. Uh, okay. He'd been watching me for a long time. Uh, my dad had been contacted. To be, my dad knew they were watching me, but he never told me. Uh, so I only got told basically when it was done, dusted, that I was to go in and train. Oh, okay. So I just got told, you're training with Rangers on Tuesday. So that was right. Okay, and uh, what that was that? the first you knew of it. That was the first I knew of it. Uh, that was probably what the Thursday. So I felt sick from Thursday to Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. And then, <laughs> and then uh, after I went in, started to train with Rangers. Everything sort of snowballed uh, from there. And you know what it's like. Once one of those sort of bigger clubs shows an interest, everybody kind of has to show an interest. There is uh, people yeah. saying, "Why are you not watching him?" Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, so. Was that the first, was that the first, like obviously you said that your dad kind of hid it from you, but as far as you're aware, was that the first club that looked at you? Was there, was there people before that? Or? I've never asked no, like, him. Yeah, yeah, I've never asked him. I, I, I always just presumed I would have been in training with them. Okay. But then on the other standpoint, you know, if, if Rangers at the time, who, who without doubt at that time, you know, were talking maybe, God, what year would it have been? 2002? Um definitely the best youth set up in the, in the Unbelievable. country. Murray Park had just opened uh, maybe a year or two. So you would think there maybe there were other people sort of sort of sniffing around, but I wasn't aware of it. Um, so if, if there was, my, my dad was sort of dealing with all that stuff in the, in the back. Your own agent at 15 years old. Learning is 10% from day one. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, it was after I went in. I, I did go and end up training with, with a whole host of clubs. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. But, um, but yeah, no, that was the first as far as I was aware. And then from you, being your time at Rangers and the Rangers youth and that, anyone that you played with or against that went on to big things that you can remember of? So many, you know. Lists. Yeah, it was just on the whole... Look, looking back on it now, the whole thing was just a dream, you know, yeah. but... When you're when you're in it, it it's sort of you just you just go with the I just expect it yeah. of, of what's happening. I mean, I can still remember being in the car on, on the on the way up to do my first training session. And I remember actually sitting in the car thinking, how how did I get out of this? Being, being, <laughs> whoa, yeah. being so nervous. Um, I was a, a season ticket holder, um, and you're yeah, really you know just stomach. I, I get really really badly nervous anyway before. Yeah. And, and trading and stuff and that's but this was another level and then obviously pulling up to the gates and the electric gates open with a big crest on it and i'm coming from you know a port cabin in port glasgow yeah uh, where we were, it was it was massive and then yeah you know you walk around the corner and, and barry ferguson's on the on the poster on the wall in your room and you walk around the corner and he's standing in front of you and uh it's a, it's a big it's a big thing for a for a young player yeah and um, so no i loved every second of it uh, and, and, and you know in the end probably wished I was there longer but no yeah get in and uh, and seeing all them players I mean it was just behind Robbie I don't know if you remember the documentary called Blue Heaven yeah I do yeah 
So every so my be- Steph, my best, my best friend Stephen Cooper. Of course, I've seen Blue right. Heaven. So they, <laughs> Blue Heaven was maybe the they were a year and a half, two years older than me. Okay. So that had just been on the TV and was still was still on as I was getting in there. So I mean, you were training with Chris Park, Alan Hutton, Charlie Adam. Uh, all the, all these kind of players, Stephen Smith, all, all those boys were were there. But this was, you know, obviously when Rangers and Celtic were both just absolute juggernauts. Yeah. Um, obviously spending a lot of money, which they paid for. <laughs> but, yeah. but yeah, I remember you know sitting there as a young boy, and guys like Stefan Kloss coming in and saying, "I've got a spare pair of boots. Do you want the boots?" And I'll take the boots. Yeah, thank you. And, uh, that's mad. I managed to work out that what what would the, the way they worked it then. George Adams was in charge of the academy. George was really really disciplined, um, so I had this haircut. I had a shaved head. Okay. And George made me train with a hat on for a month because it wasn't befitting of a of a Rangers player, and that was a that was at thirteen or fourteen years old, which you probably, probably wouldn't get away with that now. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. it instilled standards in people. And you were told every day, you know, you're here because you're the best. You're here because you're better than the than the rest, and you've got, but you've got to go and prove it. Yeah, yeah. But I, but I worked out early that um, so basically in the summer and the school holidays you'd be in full time just about. But then during the week it was four or five nights a week. <laughs> so you had to be there. Training would usually start five six o'clock, um, but depending on where you were coming from, you'd have to leave school early. Just because okay. of the trip to Glasgow. So I usually had to leave school a wee bit early on certain days. But I hadn't realised if I got up there early enough, you would hit the the transitional period of when the full time players were going home. Yeah. And the players were coming in. Yeah. And what, what McLeish used to do was he used to have a five aside game or a seven aside game on the indoor Astro. And if you got there like an hour early for training, they never had enough players or staff to play this game. So you, so you would go in and sit in the indoor train, uh, facility and, and watch this game, knowing that they were going to say, right, you're in. I used to jump in. But you would go in and play a game of fives with the first team and, and, and the manager and, and, and whatever coaches were playing. <laughs> and then you would play. But no, and my dad obviously was sort of drilled into me about staying extra and, and doing extra and, and seeing the coaches wanting you to improve and... Loads of the players done it, but I, I used to go in and, and hit free kicks in the indoor hall. Yeah. It happened, it happened a few times, obviously, my dad wasn't there, but one day my dad was in, just waiting on me. The security guard said, look, you're just going and sit in the hall and watch him. But Ronald De Boer came in. And you're like, you know, it's Ronald De Boer, obviously. So he's, 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 he's come over and he's watching me hit these free kicks and he stops and he's saying, you know, why are you going? I, I would always whack to the right corner, no matter which side I was on. Okay. I just found it easier. Whereas obviously I knew that most people would whack to the left with their right foot. Um. So he was saying, "Why'd you do that? Why you know you should go to the left and it's the shortest distance to go." He stood with me and hit three kicks with me for about ten minutes. It probably felt like a week. Yeah, yeah. Really nice. ten minutes, and took his jumper off, gave me it. Said, "You keep that." Blah blah blah. RDB still got it through there. That's it. And things like that, you know, like you don't at the time I was just like, oh you know, Ronald the Boer. 
now I'm just like, well, I'm Toronto the Brewer, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, that that was like kind of daily stuff, which was just you know you don't realize you're living. You know, you, you get in the car and you moan about stuff, and you're like, you know, you don't realize what just happened to. Well, listen, at that time in there, it was whatever you wanted. You got you asked for something, and the next day it was there. It was there. Well, obviously that's you know we know how that ended, but yeah, it was it was phenomenal. Um, from your from your time in the in the youth team, um, is there anyone that you played with directly that's that's went on the big big things? Anyone in your youth team that you remember of? Always, always Robbie in the youth when we were in the youth setup. Um, we obviously had the blue heaven boys above us. Yeah. So a lot of the media attention was on them because everybody wanted to see how they got on, and obviously they done very very well. Yeah. Um, in our team, it was always flecky. John Fleck. And, 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 and Flecky was maybe two years younger and I didn't know I mean I was only there for at that time for a year just over a year maybe 18 months I didn't actually know Flecky was two years younger somebody, I, somebody no idea. told me halfway through the season <laughs> and it was like I mean you're looking at Flecky at that age and you're thinking this guy's going to be a, this guy's the best player in the world I, unbelievable and, Genuinely, you were thinking that at the time. I mean, remember playing teams like Juventus and stuff and, and youth games. He's getting the ball at the halfway line, running past seven people and smashing it in from 25 yards. And he's doing it every week. He's not just yeah. doing it once or twice. Um, but I think then they obviously built him up and built him up and built him up and put a hell of a lot of a pressure on, on young shoulders. I think he made his debut in the Scottish Cup final or something at 16. And um, he sort of fell out of the limelight for a while and, and, and didn't certainly didn't play the games at Rangers that he, that he could have done God he could have been an absolute legend there I think he could have yeah I think he needed to get out and he, and he needed to get away from the whole the whole thing and sort of laid low for a few years and now you're seeing what he can do obviously you know he's a he's an English Premier League player now week in week out how he's not in the Scotland squad I've got no idea but but um, yeah and no, Flecky at that age was unbelievable unbelievable like unbelievable really good yeah and he's obviously been on to show it now um, in his senior career but yeah guys like Charlie Adam and all those boys where you know, I remember watching Charlie Adam for the first time and the ball coming off his foot and thinking you know it was like a bullet yeah he's, he's unbelievable Charlie Adam his left foot you know but yeah yeah there's, there's, there's so, a lot of good players yeah there's all good players and I, I look back now and think the general standard was significantly higher yeah, you've said to me before. You've said to me before. Maybe it's not. Obviously, a friendly chat. <laughs> Maybe it's not. I, I just think it. I just think it is. Yeah. If I look back at the players, I think if the Rangers twenties played the of now played the Rangers twenties of then, I think it would be a a large gulf. But, but again, I'm probably just glorifying. Yeah, the people around the people around me. Yeah. Can you remember playing? Can you remember playing against anyone that you thought? either stood out or did actually go on a decent career? Do you remember coming up against anyone directly where you thought, Jesus, they're, they're good? No, I mean, Celtic were always were always really good. They were always really strong. I don't think there was an individual player that came out of that crop for Celtic that was that was extra, extra yeah. um, special. I mean, Hibs were always, you know, very, very strong. Um, they had a fantastic group that came through, but again, they were a couple of years older than me. When I sort of went down to, and obviously the foreign teams that we played, God knows who was playing in those games. I had no There's idea. Probably, probably World Cup winners and all that kind of stuff playing in them. There definitely will have been play, yeah. played games that 
you've got no idea now that you've played against them. But it was really then when I made the move down to to England and and I was going down and training with English teams without Rangers sort of knowing what was going on. Um, it was then that the players that you were playing against were, you know, the magic. You know, it was it was it was different level. I mean, when I went down in the, in the school holidays. I would I'd been invited by a lot of English clubs to go down south, but obviously I wouldn't be allowed to to do that. Yeah, but but we did do it, which obviously we shouldn't have done. But you've got to look after your own your own interests. Um, yeah, at that age definitely. So I went down and trained regularly with Leeds. I went down and trained regularly with Sunderland, Charlton, Manchester City. Um, absolutely loved it at Sunderland. Uh, yeah. Still regret not signing for Sunderland slightly. Um, loved it uh, at Leeds. Didn't enjoy Charlton as much. Um, City was only there once, but you know was 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 thoroughly enjoyable. But some you can down down to Sunderland, mate, and it just opens your eyes. I mean, yeah. maybe the first one I went to, and you go down, you know, but with your chest out really, because you think you know I'm, I'm, I play for Rangers. Yeah, and and uh, you know that's the level. I remember arriving at the Sunderland training ground and just be like, "Oh my god, this is not what I thought it was going to be." I, I was thinking, you know, Sunderland are a, a smaller club than uh, yeah, uh, obviously in size they are a smaller club than Rangers. But but I mean, the training ground at Sunderland is just it's out of this world. And then you're getting in there; it's underground, um, the academy of light, and probably all in all spent. Two or three months training with Sunderland uh, over the various school holidays, yeah. and trained with the first team. You know, as as, as a fifteen year old trained with the trained with the nineteens as it, or the eighteens as it was then, um, played in the reserves, and then also trained with the first team. Sunderland were top ten English Premier League team at that time. Um, yeah. Training with guys like you know Gary Breen, uh, Jordan Henderson was the captain of the under eighteens. Um, so you're, you're, you were playing and training with them uh, Mick McCarthy was the manager loved Mick McCarthy uh, he was just so so nice to me so nice to my family uh, especially my mum when they came and dropped me off at the training ground uh, Mick McCarthy personally gave my mum a, a tour of the training ground and he didn't need to do that um, no. I absolutely loved it there loved every single second and the funny thing is as well is uh, the, somebody was put in charge of looking after me so it was the captain of the reserves at the time because I was only a young boy I would go and stay with him and he would look after me probably won't even remember me now uh, but it was Peter Hartley and Peter Hartley would want to become oh, yeah. a mother wolf. yeah centre half centre half so he was he was in the reserve team at Sunderland at that time so it was him that was, he was charged with looking after me um, which is funny that he ended up been been back up here, but guys like you know like Julio Arca and it was um was Kevin Kyle there at that point? Yeah, oh, Kevin Kyle was there, mate. Yeah, he's got. Yeah. A, I love Kevin Kyle. I've got a good good, good story about um about Kevin. <laughs> Did you say it? Um, yeah, I can see. I mean, he probably won't thank me for saying it, but <laughs> the um I I was very naive at that point, not, not very young. Yeah, you know, I, I was old when I was on the pitch and I behaved like an adult on the pitch. I didn't behave childish as such off the pitch, but I was not exposed to adult life. 
Right, and, yeah, yeah. As, as obviously these guys in their 30s were. So I picked up a niggle at Sunderland and I was in the treatment room um, just for one morning. And Kevin Kyle was two beds down from me in the treatment room. Now, I'm just a young boy and on trial, so don't really bother with me. So they're yeah. all sort of talking uh, amongst themselves. It was Kevin Kyle and Liam Lawrence. Oh, yeah. Right, Liam Lawrence. Uh, it was the two of them oh, the and, 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 and the physio. And they were talking about gambling, which obviously I know Kevin's not going to talk about in detail. So yeah. He's own, his own life. It wasn't actually him that was, was putting the bet on, but they were talking about gambling and they were talking about Big Brother. And I was just sitting listening. <laughs> and they were talking. Anyway, they ended up, somebody in the, the room ended up putting a £5,000 bet on a girl called Orla. She was an Irish girl. I still remember oh, her. Yeah. She, was, yeah. she was in it to win Big Brother. And I just remember sitting there listening to this thinking, what is going on? I mean, like, <laughs> that, amount of, that amount of money to me was like winning the lottery at that time. It was like, Jesus, God almighty. And uh, I remember going back up the road and watching Big Brother, and then the next week she got put out of the kitchen going, oh, my God! She played, you know? They probably never even noticed that they were, that they were, they were on that much money at the time, you know? But nah, something and yeah, like I say, probably slightly regret a wee bit that I never, that I never signed there. Um, loved, loved it at Leeds as well. Um, Charlton just wasn't, wasn't for me. I don't, can't even really explain why. Um, and City as well was, 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 was really, really good. Um, but then Blackpool um, yeah. sort of came in and they were the last team to come in. Okay. Sort of, uh, my heart set on on going to Sunderland, kind of decided that, you know, there was going to be offers that were going to come from England. We knew at that point that we didn't know what the offers would be, but but we knew they were going to come. And we kind of already decided with my, with my dad that, you know, we, we were going to leave and, and, and we were going to go to England. Um, we hadn't been offered a full-time contract yet by by Rangers, but thought that there was a good chance that we would be. Um, but we were going to knock it back and, and we were going to go, go south. And Sunderland was going to be that destination. So they, so they offered me a year. Yeah. Um, and then Blackpool came in and actually played for Sunderland against Blackpool. Oh, okay. Um, so then ended up getting asked to go to the training ground. Uh, Blackpool knew nothing about it. Um, went down there. Only knew that Colin Hendry was the manager. That was all you knew? That was all I knew. And um I actually spoke to Colin about this last month. He can't, he can't remember it, but I can. <laughs> so uh, we, uh, I arrived at the Sun at the Blackpool training ground, but I only had my Rangers kit. I didn't have any other training kit. Yeah, um, should have went my other training kit on. You know, if you back on it now, you're like, what an arse. Why did I do that? You know? <laughs> when. Uh, went in and walked onto the training ground, but they didn't give me any training kit. And that was the first time that had happened. Going from the Sunderland training ground to the Blackpool training ground. I mean, the, the Blackpool training ground was at that time four or five quarter cabins that were all renovated, that were sort of all banded together into a sort of structure. Right. It was a training ground, but it certainly wasn't Murray Park. And it okay. certainly wasn't, you know, the Academy of Light. Uh, and I didn't get given training kit. So I trained with a Rangers kit on. So I went out onto the training ground to train with the 
the youth team slash reserves, the gaff, the Colin Hendry, and the captain, who was a guy called Peter Clark at the time. Oh, yeah. They were standing maybe 30 or 40 yards away. Anyway, Colin Hendry seen me with the Rangers kit on, and I remember him grabbing Peter Clark and pointing towards me and pumping his chest as if that's it, you know, that's the kit you need to wear, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, I've got a chance here. So went in and trained with the, with the youth team, trained with the youth team for a morning. And, you know, you know what it's like. Everybody knows what it's like themselves. You know very quickly if you're having one of them days where you just think, I am on fire. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just knew, even with my first pass, I just thought, here we go today, you know, it's on. So you know, probably the best day's training I have ever done in, in, in my life. And I trained in the morning with the youth team and then both straight away, right into the first team. So I trained, first, trained with the first team as a trialist at 15 at the time. And even in the first team, they were in League One at the time. I mean, I was not dominating the game with the first team, but I was one of the better players. Yeah. And I was thinking, I'm going to cruise this. Yeah. And here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, this is, this is easy. I just was excellent. Uh, played a game the next day and again was just outstanding. Um, to the point where I didn't really want to train again. I didn't want to train or play again because I thought that I've got my best there. The last two days, <laughs> my best there in the last two days. I don't want to risk it. Um, but they then straight off the bat offered me a, a two-year contract with a one-year option. Um, so took the security and, and, and took the three years and uh, decided to go to, to Blackpool. That it would be a, a hopefully a faster route into the first team. Um, exposure at least to training with the first team. Uh, and there was a lot of good players there. I mean, Jason Wilcox, um, he was just nearing the end of his career. Uh, Keegan, yeah. Park, Keegan Parker, oh, uh, yeah. who has a character, he was uh, he was there. So, yeah, took the decision and then obviously told Rangers that, look, you know, we're, we're going to go to England. They weren't happy. Um, they still hadn't offered me anything, but, they were, but they, were, they were probably maybe going to. But we sort of preempted that and just said, look, you know, we're going to go south, and and that's what it done. Turned sixteen, and off I went. Off you went. That was you signing for. What was your initial? What was your original deal? What did you sign? Was it youth or was it first team? Yeah, and no, off So that's that's just full time contract. Yeah. And um, so what they've got down there is they've got scholars, um, first year and second year scholars, which are basically first year, um, first year reserve team, youth team player, second year reserve team, youth team player, and then pro. So yeah. usually a sort of standard deal for the player that age was, you know, a two-year scholarship and a one-year pro. Um, but the whole thing's pro. It's okay. Just, it's the, the way it's labelled. Um, so that's what we were all on um, as young lads. And yeah, went down there uh, and Colin got sacked after two weeks. Two weeks, fuck. So he, he was gone. And again, you know, not that... Colin signed me because he didn't. The club signed me. The club, yeah. Um, and one of the directors in particular just seemed to love me. Um, he, he, he wanted us down there. But you know, Colin, Colin unfortunately moved on after two weeks. And uh, Simon Grayson, who was actually the captain, took over. Oh. But, but retired. Okay. So he retired and then became the manager. Right. Um, and he had Tony Parks as his assistant. Tony obviously was Kenny DeGleish's assistant and Blackburn won the Premier yeah. League. So really experienced guys, but but 
but the manager, Peg, Simon Grayson, he was you know totally inexperienced. So yeah. like, that was his I seen his first training session ever. You know, and uh, I had a coach in the in the reserve team um, where I started off called Gary Parkinson. Gary played hundreds of games in the Premier League. Um, unfortunately, suffered a stroke at the training ground and has has got locked in syndrome. Um, and has been that way for, for years. Gary was an outstanding coach and probably my inspiration uh, in coaching. And I would, I would have ran through 10 brick walls for that guy. Yeah. Uh, he, he was absolutely outstanding. And yeah, it all went for there. Had a really good good few years there. Learned a lot. Um, learned a lot in life, not not just football, because I was living down there on my own as a, as a yeah. boy, which was, was difficult at times. I was going to ask that. How was that moving down? Obviously, 16. Fuck, I'm 31 years old and I can't live myself. So how did you manage uh, to go down to England? It was, never, it was never dealt with by my mum and dad as if it was a big deal. It was yeah. just... It was just right. This is the this is the next step. This is what you've got to do. It's just part of the process, and that that's the way it was sort of viewed. Listen, I'm lucky enough to have a mum and dad who were down. You know, my dad came and watched every match. You know, yeah. he said when I was when I was going that he'd be down maybe once a month. I mean, sometimes he'd be on Wednesday and a Saturday um, watching games. So I seen my mum and dad. My mates came down and visited me, but it was a strange scenario because I was living in a hotel. Okay, yeah. They, they put us up in a hotel and I lived in a hotel for, for two and a half, three years, which is quite bizarre. Yeah, um, it must be, yeah. Everything's transient, you know, like you're, you're meeting people for a weekend and, and then they go, you know the family that, that run the hotel, but you're not part of the family. So like it's, it was strange. And so sort of the lads that you're living with become like a little mini family. Yeah, yeah. And so there was quite a few of us in the same digs. Like there was eight of us during the week. And then there was two of us that were there seven days a week, me and Mr. Uh, Mr. Wes Houlihan. So I got uh, a few laughs for Wes, I'll tell you that. And when Wes just sort of hit, Wes just took off down there. He just became a superstar. Yeah, Which was uh, fun to watch because he's a fun guy. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was good. Strange, but listen, the club, sort of look after you, they, they lift you and lay you. Um, but it is lonely. And I yeah. think if you're not headstrong, I, you know, I, can, I can imagine it getting pretty dark for, for, yeah. for some people. Uh, and they're listening to their wear days, where for me it was, you know, I've made the wrong decision, do I want to do this, I want to go home. Yeah. Club were always good if you wanted to go up the road and you needed to go home and see your family, they would... They would like support today. That's good. It was a good time to be at Blackpool, man. We, we got promoted to the championship. You know, we, we got our day out at Wembley. Um, some great stories, some characters in the training ground, you know. So I think it was entertaining. The only negative for me was that I didn't play the games I wanted to play, couldn't stay yeah. fit. Um, we had my first injury well, but didn't take the advice of the physio and thought I was invincible and try to come back too early and sort of done it again and then just struggled to keep the level of fitness really for the rest of my career um, when I was supremely fit as a youth player supremely fit and yeah. I wasn't the same player um, without that level of fitness everything okay. diminished slightly I, I felt uh, and I had to change my game quite drastically but no great times and 
and and, and good stories. But yeah, loving Wes and stuff was was fun. On on that down there, like in the changing rooms and stuff. Obviously, you've mentioned the Wes Whelan and that. Was there any egos in that changing room that were kind of on the negative effect? Big big egos, kind of in the wrong way, or yeah, I mean. There's a lot of egos at Rangers. You even see them as a young boy. Yeah. Um, so I was something that I wasn't, it wasn't alien to me. Uh, and there's big characters, obviously, at Murray Park as well that are loud all yeah. day. Uh, and I was quite loud, but not maybe as brave okay. in the rules as some of the other players uh, were. Down at Blackpool, there was a couple who I probably, I thought, you know, their attitude towards the young players was, was pretty poor. Yeah. But then, I mean, listen, 90% of the guys were, were outstanding. Um, a couple of stories, I've got a couple of good stories for that, I'll tell you. But, but talking about guys' attitudes been poor, everybody obviously gets sort of, if you're under 18, you get designated a player to clean their boots and, and you get jobs to do and all that kind of stuff. So my, my, I had a bit of a tumultuous time with the jobs. Um, first of all, with the player that I, my boot player was a guy called Klaus Jorgensen. Klaus was the captain of the Faroe Islands. Okay. Um, so I don't know if I, I don't know, maybe he just didn't like Scottish people. Because we used, <laughs> to get, we used to get them in every qualifying group. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what would usually happen was the, lad, the guys would tip the, the young players Christmas or whatever for cleaning the boots. Yeah. I got tipped for three years. I think a thank you from Klaus. Yeah, you know, that was a, a nightmare. Well, he didn't need to give me anything, obviously, but but the rest of the players were getting bloody holidays and stuff bought for them. You know? <laughs> I was just like, all right, okay. I got a few complaints that it wasn't clean good enough, so maybe that was why. But um, but no, the, my other jobs were I had to. I didn't mind doing the jobs because it kept me interacting with the first team. And and I and I wanted to be seen as a part of the first team, or or at least being a player that was in transition between yeah. the and and the senior. So my job was to to brush and mop the first team dressing room, and to brush and mop the first team showers. Yeah. Um. So I used to try and interact with the players as much as I could, but obviously get in there as a young boy, I'd sort of been you know my dad sort of the west coast of Scotland drumming into me, you know, don't you ever let anybody push you around and take advantage. And the minute somebody does, you come back twice as hard, so they never do it again, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, these words are ringing in my ears as I, as I walk through the, the doors. Because I thought, like, watching too many, too many prison documentaries, mate, and you're thinking, like, you know, <laughs> I've got to defend myself or else I'm going to get bullied for the rest of the year. So when I went in, I remember I was brushing the, the shower one day Gary Taylor Fletcher was in the um, the bath. What the players used to do was they used to sit in the bath, and because there was because it was a shower room, there's drains on the floor. They would just leave the bath running with the hot water, so the bath's constantly overflowing all the time. So that was right. Normal, right? That's just what they'd done. So that was fine. And by the way, before I go into that story, all these guys were lovely guys. This was just a, yeah. this was just a bicker, right? They're all great guys. They're all really nice. So they're uh, I'm brushing. He's in the bath, but everyone's gone, and I'm I'm now last there. Yeah, and I always I, I was only going back to the hotel, so I would stay in the training ground for as long as possible. 
like he was one of the nicest guys to be honest and so he was maybe just having a bad day but he was sitting there and I was like Gary look can you turn the tap off because obviously I'm brushing it up now I don't want to have to come back and do it all over again yeah so he never even answered me I should have taken the hint <laughs> so yeah I said to the Gary again you turn the tap off so this time he did answer me he didn't say anything he just Wash made a big wave with his hands in the bath and splashed all over the floor. So I thought, oh no, this is it. I'm going to have this. Is it. It's happening. He's trying, my, he's trying to take my lunch money. It's happening. So I was like, you know, Gary, look, you know, please don't do that again. You know, like, uh, absolutely bricking myself inside. I'm even having to say this to him, please don't do it. You know, wash it again. So I must have said three or four times, I must have been like, look, you know, get one step below saying, excuse me, Mr. Fletcher. You know, I was like, Gary, look, you know, please stop. So he went, so eventually, you know, I was like, if you don't do some of this, um you're 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 gonna get bullied all year. You're you're gonna get things are going on in my head that are obviously never going to happen. You know, and I'm like, my life's gonna be made of misery, no one's ever gonna respect me again, blah blah blah. I was like, look, Gary, look, I'm telling you, if you do it again. You know, I'm gonna to have to do something about it. So he was like, Oh well, wash done it again. So I just walked out, shaking, be like, oh no. <laughs> I'm like trying to pretend I was hard inside, like gonna be sick. So I went into the changing room, uh, got his bag and came back into the shower room and I was like, Is this your bag? Yeah, yeah, it's my bag. We'll fish it out of there then. And just sort of threw it in there, you know. Well, it's the bath. So you jumped out the bath like a salmon going up the bloody river, you know. You <laughs> hearing after me. So yeah, I was uh but no, it was all fine. That was stuff like that. It was a sort of daily Did he say anything to you when you got you, no? Did he catch you? <laughs> More importantly. No, no, but he was naked. So <laughs> I just went right out the door. See the that's Standing in the hotel at night, still with a mop in my hand. But yeah, nah, <laughs> I was terrified. Absolutely terrified. But you know, I had to do it. But I kind of felt as if you know, people give you a wee bit more respect. Um, and it was just, you know, you just laugh about it the next day. Like You're in there every day with everyone and, and people yeah. fight and argue and you spend 80% of your time laughing. Yeah. Every second of it. And he in particular is such a nice guy. Um, and would do anything to help you, uh, but you know, Wes, but living with Wes, Wes, Wes got to the point. By the way, you know, just before I talk about what he, what he was like off the pitch, Wes Houlihan has got to be one of the most underrated footballers yeah. that must have been playing in the in, in the Premier League and the Championship in, in the last you know long time because that guy, I know I trained with him up close. He was just outstanding for three was years. He? Touchable for three years. Uh, he came down from Livingston, nobody had a clue who he was. God, they knew who he was after six months. He Is was, it that quick? Was it just Wes was really, you know, he was slow, he struggled for pace, he was small, he didn't tackle, he didn't head. He just could not get the ball off him. I mean, he couldn't get the ball off him. He, he would be in the corner and there would be four guys around them and then it was like a cartoon. Both all the guys would be on top of each other and Wes would be 10 yards away. And like, how is he doing that? He single-handedly basically led the 
he didn't single-handedly get Blackpool in the championship because the whole team played fantastic. But he he gave everybody the belief that you have you had an X factor player. Even, even when you were losing, if Wes had a good game, would win. He, he was he was that much better. And obviously, then went and played in the Premier League and done fantastic for Ireland and got got the credit he deserved. Um, in the end, well, God, his close control and his body movement, everything was just insane. But you know, a guy who say I would say you know at that time in his life threw caution to the wind off the pitch. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, liked to have a little bet, liked to have a drink. I didn't drink at all. Um, so I just watched him drink. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, Wes would he got a car. You know, he signed his new contract and he rocked up to the hotel in this Range Rover. So I'm laughing. And I'm thinking, Christ, like he didn't drive. I drove him to training. So it was like I'm thinking Wes has obviously went and spent some money on one of these intense courses that you do and he's learned he's passed his test in a day or something, you know? And he's went and bought this car, his new contract. He became like the highest paid player in Blackpool's history. So that was a great laugh as well and they take the piss out of him. Um the hotel and stuff. But the um he brought the top, I was like, oh like do you get on like one of those intensive courses or whatever today? Like, nah. I was like yeah, but you've not, you've not got your license. Yeah, no. You're just like, this guy's a championship footballer just rocking about in a Range Rover. He's not got his license. He's, not, he's just nuts. And the, um, <laughs> we would go in. My dad was visiting. I was injured. Um, got to know the physio was really well at Blackpool. So I was in the physio room, but so was Wes. Now, I, I was in the physio room getting treatment. Wes was just in the physio room. So. <laughs> I came from like an MRI scan. So my dad was down. So my dad's standing, he's leaning up against the door of the, the door frame of the physio room. Phil Horner was the name of the physio. I'm on the bed, I'm getting electrolysis on my knee. Wes is like building a pyramid out of like physio equipment on the on the on the physio floor or something like that, you know, just arsing around. But it's like training you get there at like half eight, training started at like ten. First team players obviously come in later. So it's maybe like 10 to 10. Players are coming in like with their boots now and feel like there's players out. Training. Yeah. <laughs> is still just building this whatever, you know, rudimentary version of Minecraft he was playing, you know, on the bloody physio floor. So I remember my dad saying to him, Wes, you better go get your boots on. Like the lads are going out to train and he just went, Put his put his building blocks down, and was like, "Nah, John, I've I've done the thing about this, and I don't train on Thursday." I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, "What?" So I just don't say anything. My dad obviously is just taking aback. So he's like, "What do you mean you don't train on Thursday?" Ah, oh, John, you know, strong Irish accent. I've you know I've been thinking this, and you know. I, I've just decided that I, I'm 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 just not going to train on a Thursday from from now on in, and, and I think that's probably the best way forward for me. No explanation why, just that's the best. <laughs> that's the best way for me. I'm not going to train on a Thursday. So Tony Parks comes in, the assistant manager, and he's like, "Wes, get out there now, boots on, let's go." So Wes looks up, and he's like, "Oh, you know, Tony, I'm I'm struggling. 
Uh, I've got a tight hamstring, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just looking at him like, oh, God, how does he have the balls to do these things? And uh, you've got that, you're, you're appalled, but you've also got a weird kind of admiration for him. Just having like, bollocks that big. Doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, you know I mean? <laughs> so my dad's just like laughing at him, saying, where's your mental? But anyway, the gaffer loved cricket. And unbeknownst to the players, they weren't training. The gaffer had organised like a special cricket day where he'd got all this equipment, he'd got like umpires in and all this kind of stuff and they were going to play a game of quick cricket, right? So they're out warming up. So the gaffer walks out with the stumps. The the port, the big porter cabin sort of cafeteria bit at Blackpool, it was windowed all at one side so you could look right out onto the pitch. Yeah. So I'm now standing and my crutches in there. Wes is still in the physio room finishing off the final stages of his pyramid. So... Uh, me and my dad are looking out the cafeteria window and uh, my dad goes, Jesus Christ, Wes. Bear in mind, he's just told Tony he can't train because he can't he can't walk properly, never mind run. So <laughs> we're playing cricket. So Wes just, boom, appears. They're playing cricket. Yeah, yeah, look, they're playing cricket. And he just goes, oh, I love cricket. <laughs> and, and just... Doesn't even shoes his socks on, just runs <laughs> as fast as he can. Out past the gaffer, straight past Tory Barks, <laughs> and just runs over and takes the bat off the guy who's actually batting and is like, right, let's go. And you just say, Oh my god, like that's what it was every day, you know? Just but living with a child. Yeah. But then you know, maybe Childish kind of off the pitch, but you know, anything but a child on it. Uh, yeah, very uh, good player. Oh, yeah, exceptional. But well, great laugh. He was a great laugh. And then obviously got he got a big move to Norwich and then yeah. he went to Villa and done really well at Villa, but he'd done really, really well for Ireland. Um no, delighted for him. Delighted for him. A really nice guy. Towards the obviously not the uh, nicest part of the, the, the career so far, the injuries that kind of you kind of mentioned earlier on that you kept on picking up and you couldn't really shake off. What was the what what was the one that kind of ended the the Blackpool? Yeah, journey? probably pro- probably the first one, mate. Probably yeah, just couldn't get shot. Yeah, yeah. So what? what I, and I had never, I had never been injured basically in my whole life. Uh, yeah. I mean, I played rugby at really at quite a high level. I went to sort of school and played rugby, played district rugby. Um, Loved it, definitely improved my football. So I've got, got a few injuries playing rugby, broke my sternum and broke a couple of bones and stuff. But playing football, I had impact injuries, but yeah. I never had any, I maybe pulled my hamstring. That was it. That, that was the extent of the, the muscular kind of injuries. But I came into the first team squad um, and we went on, we, we had two pre-season tours set up. A Latvian businessman called Valerie Bellicon came in and bought a sort of controlling stake in the club from, from Carl Oyston. Uh, so we were going on a pre-season tour to Scotland and then we were going on a pre-season tour to Latvia, um, to Riga. So okay. I was put on the tour. So this was that. This was, you know, in my eyes, this was me then becoming a, I'm now a first team player. I was yeah. kind of going to be involved in the first team squad for for the for the season. Uh, I knew that because I've been given my squad number, um, which was fair. Oh, so 
went up, and obviously I was delighted. The preseason tours in Scotland, so friends and family are going to get to come and watch. I'm going to get to go up the road and and uh, play against a few of my old foes and growing up playing against, which is great. So Livingston was the first game. So went up, stayed in the hotel, training great, everything going really, really well. Um, manager told me I was going to play. Uh, he was going to bring me off the bench and I was going to probably get 45 minutes or half an hour and that I would start the next game. And we would all sort of get our minutes sort of averaged out to an extent. Yeah. In the so everybody I know is at this game, mate. Everybody. Um, all my friends, all my family, you know, everybody's there. Big occasion for me. Um, Rangers were there, unbeknownst to me at the time, which I found out sort of later on as well when I ended up coming back. Um, and came off the bench, I think, with maybe 35 minutes to go. And I remember sort of saying to myself, get on, play well or play bad here, I am going to cover every single blade of grass on this pitch in the next 35 minutes. Love that. And I sort of ran towards the ball. But on 10 minutes, it was going fine. And as I was running in towards a kind of 50-50 scenario, if it hadn't have been the occasion that it was, I don't think I probably would have went into the tackle because I was stretching. Okay, yeah. And I, I, as I was running the ball towards the ball, I remember it clear as day, as I was running towards the ball, I was thinking, slow down, stop, and jog him. You're not going to make it. Yeah. And then at the end, I thought, no, speed up, you'll get there. <sighs> speed up, stretched, won the ball, got up, played the pass, took the next step, and a searing pain went up my knee. Fuck. Somebody stabbed you in the knee. Like that, that kind of sharp pain. Yeah. But I just thought, I'll run it off. I sort of prided myself on being able to manage pain. You know, my, my, my two heroes, centre midfield heroes, were Barry Ferguson and Roy Keane. Yeah, I, I, was, I was never, ever, ever going to ask to come off. Ever. And, and and it was I can I can play through it and I'm still kinda like that now. Um so I thought, no, you'll run it off, you'll be fine. I remember looking, glancing over at the stand, and just first there were thousands of people there, first just locked eyes on my dad immediately. And I remember my dad saying to me, Get down. He was doing that get down, motioning with his hand. Yeah, yeah. Now I didn't get down unless I was hurt. My dad obviously knew I was hurt. He was obviously able to tell by the way I was moving or yeah. dancing that I was hurt but obviously I was thinking in my head there's no way I'm getting down there's, there's, there's no way I'm going to come off after 15 minutes in a debut I'll be fine so I played on for another 5 minutes but real pain <laughs> yeah we they won a corner and I was picking up the guy at the edge of the box corner came in headed out it goes to the left hand side of me and him I get there before him and I go across them, and it's 3v2. And I've got my head up thinking, this is it. I'm going to score here, or I'm going to assist, and it's going to be the young boys done well. That's it. Yeah. I've, I've, I've made my, my mark. The Livingston boy came towards me, and he sort of hesitated as he came towards me, and I sort of accelerated again and went by him. As I went by him, he never touched me. Did not even touch me. As I went by him, 
I remember just planting my foot and my knee just basically collapsing upon itself. And I was screaming. I remember being on the ground screaming, sorest pain I'd ever felt at that time. But then the whole thing starts to set in and you're just, you're devastated. I mean, I was devastated. And uh, I knew it was bad. I knew it was serious immediately. Yeah. Um, on the stretcher, taking off on the stretcher and then just laying in the dressing room in the stretcher and just cried. I remember just crying, lying in the stretcher. Um, and I remember my dad, my mum and dad come, they were allowed I was to. I said, did your dad come down there? Yeah, yeah, yeah they, 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 they would the liaison officer, Steve Potter and Blackpool went and got them out of the stand and brought them down. Um, because I think they immediately knew that was that was going to hospital. Yeah. Um, so they got in the ambulance with me and, and away I went. Um, you're very, very lucky, obviously, when you're in that privileged position as a footballer. You, you're scanned the next morning. You've got all these, there's no yeah. getting around for any of this stuff. So it was all done and dusted in a day and 10 weeks, and I'd, I'd torn my knee ligaments, um, grade three, um, which obviously is a, a really bad tear. Um, and the initial prognosis was eight months. Um, but once you digest it, you start to think, okay, you know, these things happen. Eight months, yeah. I'll get back, I'll do everything I need to do, I'll tick all the boxes, I'll rehab really well. And you start again in the mindset of, I'm going to come back stronger than I, than I was. Yeah. My problem was managing my weight when I was injured. Um, if I eat what I would consider, most people in the UK consider a normal diet, I probably, I, I don't sit at a football, professional football playing weight, that's for certain. Okay. I, I had to work hard. Um, so my playing weight was 11, between 11 stone 2 and 11 stone 10, anywhere in there. But I have to work extremely hard to sit in that zone. Yeah. So you can't sit in that zone when you're injured because I'm not able to do cardio. Um, so put on probably maybe a stone uh, when I was injured, maybe a stone and a half over, over a six-month period. But then rehab really well, worked really hard. You've got to pass certain tests and targets for you allowed to go back in a train. Passed all these targets and lost the weight. Uh, probably about two months early from what I was expected to do. Okay. I should have just took another two months to continue to build it back up. But as soon yeah. as I cleared to train, I went back into training. And I trained for two or three weeks. No problems at all. Nothing. And then about a month after I started training, it was like, right, okay, we can we can play them. Uh, started bringing them back. So I went and played against Stockport. Our reserves played Stockport's first team. They were in the conference at the time. We were now in the championship. Um, and I played right back that day for the first time ever. Never played right back before. Yeah. Um, and I think it was because my, my mobility, I didn't realise it. It wasn't the same. I was an old school box-to-box player midfielder, win the tackle on the edge of their box, ping the ball wide, hit the edge of their box to try and score a goal. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't do that anymore. Uh, and I, and, I, and I, I'd lost the injection of acceleration that took me away from somebody. I was, yeah. I was more one-paced than I had been previously. And I noticed that. So maybe I was, that's why they changed the role slightly. But anyway, the game, I went on. Uh, they were going to give me half an hour just to, to get myself sort of ticking back in in a game environment. Went on it right back. I went on after we scored. 
So we had scored and they were taking a kickoff. They took the kickoff. This is how long it lasted. They took the kickoff, rolled the ball back to the centre midfielder, took the touch out of his feet. He looked up towards me. And as he looked up, I obviously knew he was going to hit a diagonal. So I started to retreat. He switched it. But because I'd started to retreat, the winger didn't even bother going for it. Because he knew that I had won the ball. Right. I went up to bring the ball down, but I didn't. I headed it inside to the centre-back because the striker started making his way over to me. I headed it inside to the centre-back. He controlled it, and as soon as my foot touched the ground on the landing, I knew that I'd done it again. Horrible. So then I just I sat down, and there was no screaming and no sort of... Amateur dramatics that time, I would probably say, like it was just total, yeah, sort of total acceptance, weirdly, that it happened, but then just sort of like, oh my, you know, your, your outer body experience almost, you know, yeah. you're sitting there. They didn't have a stretcher, I'll never forget that. They didn't have a stretcher, so I had to be carried. Um, by people into the into the changing room, and I, my mum was there. My mum hated going to the games in case I got hurt. Yeah. On occasion, my dad was away working somewhere. My mum came down to the game because it was my first game back, and she was devastated. You know, I'll never I'll never forget that. And then that yeah, that was another another eight monther. Um, that time I'd done my all the ligaments, so cruciate, medial, lateral, all of them. Um, so yeah, that was a disaster. That was a disaster, and I was never, never, never the same um, after that. Not that I went backwards at all in, in, in the actual play. I just had to totally change my game then, and yeah. totally change everything. Uh, the rehab was more difficult mentally; it was more difficult. Um, yeah, bitterness probably still better about it now, which I shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was that, and then was on my way sort of again back on the rehab trail it took me another eight nine months to get fit by that time there's now only you know maybe nine months left on my initial three month uh three-year contract got yeah. back clean, got back fit uh now he was playing holding midfield so they had me screening in front of the back four switching the ball side to side that was my strength winning the title and playing the passes um loved it loved that job loved Makalele. you know used yeah. to and changed my game and sort of base it around him and yeah I loved that grew into it and started to learn more about the game tactically when I played that role um, which has benefited me greatly in later in later life so there was massive positives to it um, so I got myself back fit you know Blackpool wanted me to stay on they were they were a bit unsure about my, my fitness they, they, they were worried um, so they offered me another year Um but it was basically conditional on me passing all my, my medical tests and all that kind of stuff. And sort of Rangers came back and, and said they wanted me to come up um, and come back in. And in the end, uh, when turned Blackpool down, decided to take the chance and go back to, to Rangers and couldn't pass the, the medals. Um, or could pass them. But people were now ticking time bomb yeah that was was used I'll never forget that it was now just a, a matter of time before it would it would potentially happen 
again, and to be honest, my attitude changed massively. I became very, very angry. Yeah, I became, why has this happened to me? I made all the sacrifices, I didn't drink. You know, I left the parties at midnight. You know, my mates all stayed out till four and five in the morning. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke. I worked my backside off. I done extra. I made, I trained ridiculously hard. I dedicated my whole life to it. And I seen other people that hadn't done any of those things. Yeah. Still doing well and, and, and still succeeding and earning my money is the way I sort of looked at it, to be perfectly yeah. honest. Which sounds really sort of horrible to say it that way, but that's kind of the reality of it. And I became really bitter. And that la that lasted for years. And I, and I had a major impact on my on my life and, and, and why me and you know it just yeah, it just all blew up. And then I had had several offers then. Uh, Morton wanted me to go in. I could have been back down to England. I had applied to university. Um, because the English clubs, the rule then was that you have to go to college if you're under 18, which is good. And you also have to do your first coaching badge as well if you're under 18 and you're full-time in England. So they put us through that with the PFA. So because I've been through the college, obviously because of the injuries, the tutor at the club obviously strongly advised me to apply for university just in case. Yeah. Sort of fell through. And look, you, you might not be a full-time footballer. Your body might just say, no, nah, enough's enough. Um, so I applied and then basically sat with the opportunity to go in and prove my fitness at Rangers, which is, wasn't originally what they had said. It was to go back and sign for a year. But after they went in and tested me, I think they obviously thought that this, these, are, these, these are worse than we thought they were. Okay, yeah. Um, so they wanted me to go in and almost like a rolling contract go in and sort of just prove my my fitness month on month not a page you play but like almost like that to say okay. a short term rolling contract to prove my fitness Morton wanted me to go in my local team they offered me like a three year contract they, they were you know they, there was a great opportunity for them to get a higher caliber player who's maybe available for a lower price because of the injuries yeah. go back down to to England, and then I had the offer of going to university and playing part-time. And I just heard so many opinions then that it was, you know, a matter of time before this all blew up. There's no way I was going to be able to perform at the level I performed at. I was obviously very, very, very angry um, and decided to take the the Aberdeen University option with Montrose. Montrose, yeah. And went and signed for Montrose, and my rationale was: what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to do my degree, and I'm going to go back full time. Yeah, and prove to myself that I can stay fit playing part time and all this kind of stuff. And in the end, made the whole that that whole thing ended up just been a disaster. Yeah. Uh, it was it was too big a change. It, it, was, it was too big a structural change. I I, I had been used to hardcore structure and, and, yeah. and hardcore discipline um, and all of a sudden that was totally gone um, the part time football environment I really struggled with it um, at that point my ego got in the way because I thought I've made this decision to do this in my head probably I thought it was going to be easy but all the yeah. boys part time are good players <laughs> yeah. and, and when you're no longer as fit as you once were and also you've got an attitude, you know, my attitude, I think, 
was exemplary until I went part-time, where I definitely did, looking back on it now, I definitely did have an attitude of, I'm too good for this. Yeah. And I'm ashamed of it. Um, didn't, didn't, didn't train properly, didn't keep myself fit at uni, tasted alcohol for the first time, tasted nights out with my mates for the first time. I didn't yeah. think football I was involved in was as serious. And then basically it was partying more than I was training. And, okay. and once that started at part-time, it was just... never. Don't get me wrong, Montrose at the time were an absolute shambles. Um, I was there for a season and I had five managers. Jeez. And, um, yeah, which was, you know, to say some of them were characters is an understatement. But yeah, Stephen Tweed, David Hanna. David Hanna got in a fight with a supporter in the stand and then resigned after the game. It was like, it was mental, you know. But uh, yeah, just just didn't have the discipline as, as uh, at that age, the bitterness, too big an ego. Uh, and eventually then at the end, at the end of the year, to Montrose, I just said, look, man, I'm, I'm done. Um, I, 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 I don't want to continue playing here next year and sort of was unhappy to be honest I've spoke to you about this in detail as well you know was unhappy in life you yeah. know, in, in general and, and never still hadn't got over what had happened to me and, 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 and couldn't move on and wanted to blame everybody else um, and just wanted to feel sorry for myself essentially is, is yeah. what I've done um, didn't want anything to do with football and probably for a year I had nothing to do with it. And then after that year, you start to get the, uh, oh, well, you know, I've, maybe I've made a big mistake here. I do actually really love this and I want to do it. And, you know, maybe the, the playing isn't going to be an option now um, because of, of, of the injuries and the, the body. But, you know, maybe now coaching is an option. Yeah. And that's going to be how I'm going to stay involved. I'd argued when I was down in Blackpool with the manager that I didn't want to do the coaching badges. Pointless. Never going to use them. Don't want them. And then obviously it's been my life since I sort of made that decision. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just ended up... I'd done a bit of coaching down at Blackpool. Um, when you're going through the badges, I went in and coached in their academy. And I, I enjoyed coaching the Blackpool academy teams. Um, but you had to do like the bulkier coach with your own team. And you right, can yeah. imagine what that was like. <laughs> Absolute mayhem. So that wasn't <laughs> as enjoyable. Um, and then went into, was really, really, really lucky. And my dad had uh, been a director of youth at Morton. Um, and they were looking for uh, a coach and obviously I got the opportunity which obviously had a lot to do with my dad being there which yeah. was more for me but uh, my dad very much so is the kind of person that he is not willing uh, to give me an opportunity if I'm going to do a crap job and affect his reputation so um, it was only based on the fact that I was capable for the job and went in and coached Morton's under under 19s as it was at the time at 23. So I was really young and loved it, mate. Loved every single second of it. And, and I don't know if I did actually love it or I just loved the buzz of being back in the changing room again. And being the boys, mate. And with the boys. 
just the general banter of training, the, the sort of cut and thrust of it all, the ruthlessness. You sort of miss the ruthlessness of it. Um, everything about it, you just... You, I was back enjoying it again. I had that that buzz again. I, I wanted training to come, and and all of a sudden, as soon as I kind of got that feeling back, it was like, how far can we take this? Yeah. And, and playing just then became coaching. Um, listen, it doesn't replace playing. You know, to say anybody now, God, play for as long as you can. Right. I was going to ask you that because do you, do you agree with that? Ah, oh, mate, watching trade. You think that you're nervous and stuff as a player, you know? God almighty. You start coaching. Um, you're helpless. Yeah. Totally helpless when it comes to... All I think through the full game on a Saturday is, oh my God, you know, what would I give to... Yeah. to go there? Because obviously in my own mind, if I went on, all the problems that I'm currently watching would disappear, which obviously they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I, I'd like to think in my head that, you know, if I went on there, yeah, you know, it would totally change everything. But the... Uh, no, yeah, I say like some of the, the senior players, now even players that I was involved with yourself have came in and spoke to us and said, thinking of hanging it up. And you know, every time I hear that, I'm like, look, you know, if your health's okay, carry on. And your body's okay, go go on to the last second, you know, until you're dragged off of there. Because you know, I, I genuinely think you'll probably spend the rest of your life trying to replace it and, and trying to replace not just the actual playing, but that feeling of Suppose it's a feeling of being a part of something and, and having yeah. a, an identity and, and all that. Uh, you can't be it, I don't think. I think, for me, I wasn't a very good player, but being a coach and a manager, I don't think you can beat it when you when you contribute to the team winning. It's just different different feeling, I think. Because you're yeah. like, the buck, the buck does stop at you, but and obviously if it goes wrong, you're only going to be the one that gets blamed, but even when you know yourself, you've changed something to help the boys win. You might not get the praise because it's the players who get the praise, but you know it in your head. It's a different feeling, right? Yeah. It's a different feeling. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, when I when we win a game or when I win a game of coaching, the, the overwhelming feeling is relief. <laughs> yeah, I, you've done it with your men too, yeah. Total relief. But it's like... Yeah. And, then, and, and the feeling as well, actually, you know, me, my girlfriend and my family are actually going to enjoy the rest of the Saturday. Yeah. Because you know, people think that as a player or a coach, it's you out there and people see the guys at the top 0-1%, they're on 200 grand a week and think that's what football is. You know, no. You know, that's like saying the, the head of Barclays Bank is what working in a bank is. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's totally ridiculous. So, everybody's families are involved. You know, this is something that swallows lives up because it requires so much dedication. I mean, you know it yourself. And then especially coming when I went in at Montrose and, and the coach and, and part-time stuff, part-time players are dedicating every minute that they have spare in their life to that to that, yeah. and that club. And it affects their wives, it affects their marriages, their girlfriends, everything, their kids. It's yeah. a massive sacrifice. It's, it's, it's a massive, massive sacrifice. I would, you know, they should play until, until they can't play anymore. And, and there's nothing worse than... There's nothing worse than watching training. Do you know what the only thing worse than watching training is? Joining in and realising that you're old. <laughs> hey, hey, I was going to say something different, right? Because when you were with me at Mod, we were doing training and you took part in a training session. One of your drills needed one more, so you jumped in and I think you bossed it. And I remember you saying to me afterwards in the car, I fucking wish I didn't do so well. 
because I want to go fucking play that. <laughs> start to think. You start to th- honestly, like, and this is how, like, <laughs> I suppose it's inner belief, isn't it? But like, I'll step on a training pitch for like the lads now at Huntley, and I don't join in. These lads are training at a really, really high tempo, and like, I'm not going to join in from my own ego and bring a tempo down. But like, the kickabout at the start, I like to get involved in the little like rondo and stuff, and the. the, the a couple of good passes in that rondo, right? And I start to think, you know, if I start training, <laughs> if I start, you know, I quickly shake, I quickly shake myself out of that, you know, because <laughs> that, that wouldn't be the case. Like it, would, it just wouldn't be like that anymore. Too much time has passed, and you've been inactive for for far too long. But you know, and it's like you say, the mind still thinks they can do it. It definitely does. Yeah, you, know, like you, you watch it, and you think, God. If I can go back and play, but but no, I absolutely love the the coaching, and now I'm on my my own journey there, and and that started off with, with Morton, and then moved up to Aberdeen and, and done the the sort of community stuff, and was in the boys' academy with the sort of younger age groups, yeah, um, which was great. Learned a lot. Transitioned across to the the women, which was totally different. Uh, yeah, through sort of my senior coaching badges so you know you're looking to try and coach you need to start doing shaping and all these kind of different elements which you can't really do when you're the under 11s and yeah so that was an opportunity for me to to work with senior players and um took the under 20s there with the girls um for two years and then took the first team um for two years uh, before getting back into the boys and you'll learn a lot Doing, doing the women's football, still involved with Aberdeen ladies now and uh, heading up their, their youth development for their youth teams. Um, so, you know, really, really love it. It's totally different. Yeah, I remember you saying before, yeah. Totally different. Um, the game's the same, of course. It's the same sport, same game. Um, it's slower. Tempo of the game is slower. Um, yeah. So, in my opinion, I, I like it for practice for because I can identify something easier because the tempo is slower yeah um, but it's very tactical because it's very very technical and, and the players are of a extremely high technical standard yeah um, and they really are and I, I had never seen a women's football match or training session before I went to my my first session and thought you know in my head this is going to be I'm going to do two sessions here and I'll log it back. I know that's the way it's going to go. And it was the opposite. You know, these the, the dedication that the players have got, they don't have the same financial carrot at the end yeah. of the panel. There is a financial carrot, don't get me wrong, and that carrot's getting bigger and bigger year on year. Right. And there's huge rewards out there now in Europe, but, but, but not so much in Scotland. And, you know, these are players that are training in the morning, they're training at night, they're, they're training before their work, after their work, they're dedicated, they're good players. It just doesn't have the same um, blood and thunder as the as, as, as the men's game. And then obviously off the pitch, managing the groups, a, a bit of a different dynamic. Um, but not loved it and, 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 and still do love it and was lucky enough to get one of the Euros with Scotland. Yeah. Um, so they, they took quite a lot of the of the coaches over with sort of Anna's backroom staff for us to sort of watch them and, and be a part of it. And, and they had us sort of going around scouting and doing analysis on 
on different games at the Euros and spend, you know, they were lucky enough to take us around a few of the, the clubs and, and spend a couple of weeks with the, with Lyon and, and Paris Saint-Germain and, and these clubs, which is just, you know, listen, you can't buy that kind of of um, learning, you know, and, and getting to sit with the Lyon staff and the Paris Saint-Germain staff and, and just chat with them and sort of inspired me to go off and do that on my own. Um you know, the men's game long term is where I would love to to be at the top yeah. level. Um, it doesn't really matter whether it's men or men or women, um, but the rewards are higher. It's as simple, yeah. as, that. As, simple as that, is it? Yeah, and you know, since then I think I've been to oh, been Ajax, Feyenoord, uh, VV Venlo in Holland, LA Galaxy. LAFC over in Los Angeles, uh, Cardiff City, back down to Blackpool, Partick, all in watching Atletico Madrid, all in watching teams. And Neil was lucky enough that Neil Warnock's had me down a couple of times. You know, Neil's a, a great guy. Yeah, I'm uh, a decent, but you like Neil. So nice to me. I mean, I met Neil at Ibrooks. Um, he actually goes to quite a lot of the Rangers games. He's, he's got a holiday home up in Scotland, so he, he goes to the Rangers Class. and uh, got chatting to him. Uh, and then just over a course of seeing him in there and, and chatting more and more, sort of invited me down to go and sort of shadow them for a few weeks every pre-season. Um, so the last time I was there, he was still at Cardiff. Um, and it was, you know, Neil and Craig Bellamy and, and Ronnie Jepson and Kevin Blackwell. And just to sit with these guys and watch them, guys that have been there, done it. Yeah. Uh, you get the ability to ask them a question, pick up the phone. It's, uh, I'm very, very lucky. Um, so now I see those guys operating, and also the foreign coaches. Uh, it's a lot of learning. Sort of kicked on by by doing it in the women's game as well. So no, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it and continue to thoroughly enjoy it. And, you know, to see the girls going away on scholarships to America or getting a contract down in England or Italy or Australia and, and see them go and pay their mortgage with, with football, knowing that, like you say, we, we've put that in place for them. Yeah, it's a great feeling. And they, they, they deserve it. And then Transit had started to move back into the, the boys alongside my, my development role with the girls. So got the best yeah. of both. So once the Aberdeen kind of came and went, you you went to Inverurie for the, the youth how, how yeah, that I'm, still doing, I'm still doing the development stuff with the girls. Um, I just don't take any of the teams right. uh, individually. So I sort of oversee the whole sort of youth teams for the for the ladies. Um, so a standalone club. It's a sort of partnership with Potaudry and Potaudry run the first team. Um, they're, they're they're doing really really well and they tie in with our with our youth teams, which is which is great. Um, and then back in the boys with, with locos. Um, and this again, just totally, totally random. Um, how these things happen. Literally had thought, right, you know, want to get back to the day-to-day match stuff, need to get my eye back in with the boys. Don't really in this area have a lot of contacts. Yeah. Uh, within the, the, the regional sort of setup up here with the with the men's football. And Inverurie Locos put out an advert looking for a coach. And I replied to it and they phoned me, I think, 15 minutes later said that they were putting together a new under-19s team. They already had a manager um, and they were looking for a coach and they wanted to know if I wanted to go and meet the manager. Um, so I said, yeah, absolutely. 
when met Mr. Dave McGinley. Yeah. Um, who was the manager. And, you know, again, just total luck. Dave, you know, and I can't say enough good things about him. He's, yeah. uh, he's, he's been so good to me. Uh, I've learned a lot from him. I can pick the phone up and ask him advice. Professional player at a really high level, played in different countries. One of the most successful people, I think, to ever be involved in the Highland League in terms yeah. of the titles he won in, 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 uh, as a manager and as a player. And somebody who, you know, you know, probably run, probably rubs other people up the wrong way. Um, straight down the line, straight shooter, brutally honest. Yeah. Um, which I like, because at least you know where you are and, and things get done quicker. But, you know, watching Dave, I think watching Dave sort of solidified for me that I want to be a coach. Yeah. I might end up being a manager when I'm in my 40s or my 50s or whatever. But my love is coaching. I love being on the training pitch with the players. And Dave was a manager. Yeah. And he managed the players and he allowed me to dictate the training. And I obviously acted off his off of his instructions. But I learned so much from him. Still pick up the phone to him now today and, and ask him for advice. And um, yeah, very, very grateful um, for, for everything he's, he helps me with. But the locals were the team were outstanding. I mean, we didn't lose a game. Uh, so I didn't lose a game the entire time I was at the club. Yeah, we won, we won every single match. Uh, won four trophies. All the boys received senior contracts. Um, we just had a difference of opinion at the end about what the next step for the boys was. Yeah, um, I would like to see them been kept together. Um, but they ended up farming them out on loan here, there, and everywhere. Which sometimes the message gets lost then, doesn't it? But yeah, loved my time there. Good club. Um, were good to me. Gave me an opportunity to get back involved in the in the, in, the, in the men's game in the area. Thoroughly enjoyed it. But then obviously somebody came and sort of poached me away, and then you you obviously that yeah, you obviously know about that. So <laughs> so from that, you obviously um, your first kind of involvement in adult football or adult male football, sorry, was with me at Mod. He kind of came up into there. How was that? How did you find the difference of Obviously, with the, the Aberdeen ladies and then the, the locals used no, to come in. Very, very different. Very yeah. different. Yeah. Like, not different for me, but but different. Society's changed, right? So yeah. the way that me and you are dealt with as players is no longer the way that players are dealt with. Yeah. And to say that it was the, the environment I was in, from the age of maybe 14 to 24 was ruthless would be an understatement. Yeah. Um, Punch-ups at halftime. Things getting said that sometimes cross the line, but also things getting said that are true. Brutal honesty. um, Singling people out, accountability. um, And people being able to take that in the chin and, and move on. That's not the way it is as much anymore. Yeah, um, you know, I think the old saying was, you know, some people need a rocket and some people need an arm around their shoulder, and yeah. that probably used to be fifty fifty. It's probably ninety ten percent now in favour of Easy. the arm around the shoulder. Easy and very much for the with the girls, um, it was like that, and I learned a lot of lessons as well with it with the girls and how to handle defeats. Um, 
because my reaction to, to defeat inside is just total rage and disappointment. Yeah. Um, because I'm just so desperate to win. So, so desperate to win every game, even training. Um, but you can't, as a player, you can allow that to overtake you. You can't allow that to overtake you as a coach or a manager because the players are looking to you for stability. Yeah. So that was the learning curve when I first started coaching the seniors with the girls. I would lose my temper at the start, which you can't do. And 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 and, and learn that lesson that you know, right, you're gonna coach, you can't do that. So going into the senior men, it was a bit different because I'd only worked with the elite youths at Morton, Aberdeen, and Verrury, wherever it may have been. But in the senior men dressing room, and at Maud, this was very, very clear. You've then got the mix of generations. Yeah. And some of them believe in the brutal honesty mantra. Yeah. And some of them believe in the praise me constantly. Yeah. And watching that dynamic between the two groups of players was interesting. And that was the, the main difference in terms of the way that the changing room was handled because it's a transitioning maybe from old school to new school, where I think probably just right in the middle of the two is the, is the best place to be, right? Because, you know, there are times where I think yeah, I there are times you've got to be honest in the changing room. And, and, and there are times where people have got to raise their voice because it's urgent. It needs to be done now, not next week. Yeah. And um, But there are also, you know, times where people need to be spoke to in a calm manner. And, and points need to be made, and, and you have to actually coach and not just go in and lose your temper, which I think a lot of people just do go in and rant and rave, and they've not actually said anything for 15 minutes. Yeah, they just made noise. <laughs> yeah, they've just made noise, exactly. Yeah. Um, so going in with the men and then dealing with senior players in that environment and all the different kinds of personalities, yeah, great, brilliant practice, you know, really, yeah. really, really good. And obviously very grateful to you for for giving me the opportunity. Um I I I always like the players that have got a wee bit of edge about them. And I maybe like the more challenging players, which I think yeah. you quite you quite liked having me there because of that. Yeah, it was a good mix. Uh, so they like Zach, for an example, you know, like I think probably when Zach came back, he was offshore. I hadn't met him yet, and he came back and played the friendly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think to say some of the boys in the change room are intimidated by him is maybe an understatement. Uh, I, I, yeah. and, and people think it was a problem. I, I loved it. I loved it when he came in at half time and he starts, you know, you, you, and you, why are you not doing your job? Blah, blah, blah. And I like, because that kind of person usually can take it back. Yeah, which he can, to be fair. Zach can and take I, it. I, yeah, and I, I like dealing with those players because at least you know where you where you stand but they were a great group at mod um i just thought that the task that you were given was insurmountable is probably how i would describe it i, mean, yeah. I think i think when i came in to to join you the first meeting i sat in with you they had four players yeah four players and me and you that was it and, 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 and you're thinking well i mean if we even compete in the league and like if we even take part that's the first success you know, and it was yeah. You obviously, my I didn't have, I don't have the recruitment knowledge in the area, so it's you know my role is is technical and on the coaching pitch. But I mean, I think you had to go and bring in 
I think it was 20 players that eventually came yeah. in. As you signed, yeah. Loans and free transfers. Now, you might, you might get... There's, got, there's definitely gems and rough diamonds out there, loans and free transfers, of course there is, but I don't know if there's 20. <laughs> <laughs> so when you start getting down that list, the depth of quality is, is going down. And, and that was the team's um, weakness. But I still thought that they'd done, they'd done well. And it was, you know, I, I loved my time there. Um, really nice people. Yeah. Too nice, actually. Very, too nice, yeah. Including me, from, from me downwards. Yeah. <laughs> too nice, everybody. I was a bad guy. But <laughs> played that part many times. But yeah, the uh, great committee, great people. Um, love their club, love the community they live in, and and, and that was the good thing about been up sort of been up here and seeing these teams, how much these teams mean to the local oh. local community. It's a big, big deal. Time. It's a big deal. These people represent one of these teams, and it matters. It matters how you conduct yourself, and it matters the um, what kind of impression you give because they've got a pride in it that you've got to respect, and you've got to hit their expectations as as. Yeah. as and um, I loved every second of it and didn't have any intention of leaving didn't have any intention of leaving um, Kev obviously came in after after you moved on yeah. and I well, Kev excellent you know could have came in and brought his own coaching staff could have, could have got rid of me and brought in his own man but he didn't um, wanted me to stay on done half a season with him uh, absolutely 100% mod will on the way up um, yeah Kev's brilliant we'll get them really well organised the lads will play for them he'll do what he needs to do in the in, in the transfer market and I, and I wish him all the success in the world and uh, I'm sure our paths will cross again at some uh, at some point and then oh, great guys there as well you know Craig Loudon Kev Robertson guys Robertson, brilliant yeah you know like if you'd stayed in, you know Jesus I mean if you'd if you'd 15 players in your squad like that boy you know you wouldn't lose many games you know nah. attitude and, and just great guys to work with guys that want to work which makes a massive difference yeah um, you know, guys that squeeze every single drop out of their career and too many times a couple of boys in the squad that we're talking about you know you'll look at them and say what could have been yeah you know, what could have yeah. been like those, those three that we've mentioned there they squeeze every drop out of it and working with players like that's a, a pleasure. And still still speak to Craig a bit, you know, now and you know, they'll they'll do well and I'm sure they'll probably move into coaching when they're uh, Yeah. Especially Loudon. Look I think Craig will. I think Craig will and I think he'll do well there as well. From from there, obviously I'm wearing a time. As you finished up with Maud, you now uh, Huntley with Alan Hill, who was the Maud manager before me. How did um how did that come about with, with Alan? I had heard about Alan um, as a sort of mythical, mythical creature that was sort of lurking somewhere in Aberdeenshire, and yeah. it had done really, really well, particularly at Maud. I knew about him because he was the same as me, a young, a young coach who, who yeah. was trying to away, um, and someday I was always interested in. And, and getting a look at and potentially working with, but had never had never met him, had never spoken, um, and just uh, contacted the club and 
Uh, they made me aware that an approach had went in to speak to me um, from Maud, uh, from Huntley. And once uh, the Maud committee had given sort of me the permission to go and talk to Alan, we, we had a chat and, you know, I'll be honest, after, after 10, I mean, I was maybe on the phone to him for an hour. After 15 minutes of the chat, I'd already kind of decided that I wanted, I wanted to do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, I, and, and it was then just about the contracts and, and the clubs. Um, Alan is one of the, and as I've said before, I've been lucky enough to watch some really, really top managers and coaches up, up close and personal. Yeah. Alan is outstanding. Yeah really is um, the level of detail of work that goes in his delivery on the training pitch his control of the group you know I use that word manager again he manages the group expertly yeah, uh, I, I, I couldn't speak highly enough of him really uh, yeah. I've, I've been blown away to be honest, and, and, and on, a, on a sort of part-time basis, it, you know, there's nothing part-time about it. <laughs> yeah, no, he's dedicated. He's it, it is, is full-time, and, and the content that's been been delivered is of a full-time level. There, there, there is no doubt about that. Um, and Alan's somebody who I look at and I think could go the whole way, you know, really. You reckon he could go in the football, in the, like, the Scottish Football League? Yeah, I think he's good. I think he's good enough now. Yeah, enough now to do it easily. It's just about it's just about opportunity, and I'm sure the day will will come when when that happens. Uh, and it's just about circumstances, isn't it? When you're at clubs and and, and what makes you successful, <laughs> had a lot of success, um, and he's still still a young coach and a, and a young manager. So uh, Huntley are are not going to go wrong under. Under Allen, whether they go and win, you know, ten league titles in a row, I don't know, because that comes down to budgets and circumstances yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and and those things play a massive, massive part, as as any manager or coach knows. But will Allen improve the players and improve the structure and improve the overall club? Yeah, I've got absolutely no doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. no doubt about that. Uh, and I've loved every single second of it, and and you know, long may it continue, hopefully, um, because I really think it's. It's a partnership that could that could be really really fruitful going forward, and you know the club itself has been has been excellent. Um, being from down the road, I, I don't have the the knowledge of the Highland League that yeah. a normal person sort of in the Aberdeenshire area does, but I knew Huntley, and so does everybody. Yeah, Glasgow and Edinburgh, so it's a club with a lot of history. If you asked anybody down the road to name a club from the Highland League, I'm fairly confident that would be the first name that would come out of their mouth yeah. um, because of the history. So it was something I was interested in straight away. Obviously I'm aware that they've not they've not achieved what they were used to in the past in the last 10 years and there's been various reasons for that um, on and off the pitch but you know, now the club that we've came into have been really impressed. You know everyone's really nice, really really professional, seem to be upfront and honest, things are moving in the right direction. Uh, they're in a solid uh, footing uh, in the boardroom, in the balance sheet, on the pitch. 
Uh, they've got a really young squad, and it's just about building now. It's it's not going to happen overnight because they don't have the budget where they can go out and spend you know the same amount of money as maybe the top three teams in the league. But they can create an environment around the player that I'm confident that those three teams that those other teams can. Yeah. Um, and in terms of individual development for players, you know, everything's every, every individual player's on their own plan. All yeah. Team methodology, uh, the amount of analysis work that's getting done is, you know, sickening, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Um, and I'm loving every single second of it. And, and Alan's the captain of the ship and, and, he's, and he's doing a great job. And I think if the whole organisation continues to follow him, they won't go too far wrong. Right. Before we before we finish up, I want to touch on something that will uh, probably give us a bit of a laugh. Give us a summary of Alex Thoyer's. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> no, honestly, I love I love the guy. I don't know how anybody, I don't know how anybody done you know, wouldn't. Foot, listen, football. I just think life in general. Me personally, but I'm a bit of a maverick sometimes, as you know, but. Like, football is about characters. You're yeah. the people that we pay to see. And that yeah. man is a character. I would pay to watch him play football. I would pay to watch him do stand-up. I would pay to watch him do anything because he does it with personality. And I, I yeah. just think he's great. Um, I mean, to, to say that the guy's fit and dedicated is... Pff, we're talking about the attitude earlier on of, of part-time players. I mean, that guy is a machine. He is an absolute yeah. monster. Yeah. Dedication to Huntley Football Club. I mean, God, he would he, he would he would die for it. Um gives plays every training session like it's a Champions League final. Yeah, he's good. And and, and delivers himself like that. And enthusiastic. <laughs> enthusiastic off the pitch. I've had to block his phone number on a Saturday. Um, <laughs> I was hoping you were gonna bring it up. <laughs> number on a Saturday. Uh, I did get told by a couple of the players uh, uh, has been in touch I was like no no why the hell are they asking me if he's been in touch for oh, you understand I was like alright okay so yeah I've had, I've had my phone calls at 2, 3 in the morning I know what you're thinking it's like oh you know oh, he's phoning you up Stephen drunk or whatever you know, he's, maybe he is or maybe he isn't but I did answer one of them and just almost out of, just out of curiosity to be honest and, I, and I, I was like, so I answered and it's oh, sorry to bother you. Uh, four in the morning, sorry to bother you. Um, see defending corners. See when we're defending a corner. You know, do you want me to get out towards the short corner or just burst in the triangle and support the striker? Players, it's four in the morning on a Saturday. My girlfriend thinks somebody's died. You know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> so... I love my, it. My aim for 2021 is that he doesn't find out my address. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> but that was a top, top guy and, and, and cracking footballer and a winner and a leader. Yes. Yeah. On that, before we finish up, when you were saying that about characters and stuff, did you hear that thing on the, the Sky Sports and the BBC the other day about Jason Cummins, about going to yeah. Dundee, about what he said about himself? Do you? Yeah, I've heard it, but I can imagine. He said something along the lines of people, fans, and everyone asks ask for characters, but when people are characters, they're the first one to get they gets blamed oh, when they get beat. Oh, yeah, because everyone needs somebody to cheer, but then they need somebody to throw tomatoes at as well. Yeah. Don't, and do you agree with that, do you? 100%. 100%. Yeah. But I mean, don't, listen, 
the people in the game that are like that, they they know. Like it's Mourinho is the perfect example as a coach, isn't he? I mean, listen, Mourinho, I just think is a genius. Yeah, in my opinion, you know, I just I, I think I, I just love everything about him. Everything. Yeah, he's a bit. He gets a bit down on himself sometimes recently, but when he was all on the up and 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 putting bums on seats and talking the talk and walking the walk. You know, everyone yeah. loves it. But, you know, they love it just as much when that person fails. Yeah. And and, and that's the way. I, you've seen it with Conor McGregor. I know you're a big USC fan, Conor McGregor now. I mean, yeah. about that Aldo time when he's on that tour and you're talking about characters. I mean, I mean that'll, I'll remember that for the rest of my life, that promotional tour. Yeah. And now, yeah. you know, people are enjoying that he's on the way back down. And yeah. these are the people that we'll talk about and, and the people that we'll remember. And uh, they're the people that we pay to see. Everybody else is just taking part. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mate, I can't thank can't thank you enough for coming on, being brutally honest and speaking about your career, especially the, the sensitive parts about the, the injuries and everything else. I hope everything goes well with, with Huntley and uh, look after yourself in the rest of the lockdown, yeah? Yeah, I'll see you. See for a pint, mate, when we're allowed to actually see each other again. Uh, a, Zoom, <laughs> a Zoom beer in 2004. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Look after yourself. Great show. Thanks again to uh, Stefan Laird for coming on. Really, interview, the interview was brilliant. It's um, something that I thought he was going to be able to produce, and it's someone that, as soon as I decided I was going to do this, he was one of the first guests I pinpointed to get on. Someone that's had that professional footballer experience with it. Obviously, the heart of not playing and then going on to coaching. And something that we didn't really speak about in the show, um, I've worked with Stefan directly. Um, he was my assistant manager at Maud, and he is hands down the best coach that I've ever seen in in front of me. He's just everything. He, he knows the answer to everything. Any situation I gave him that I needed help with, he, could, he answered it straight away. He was just a top, top guy, top coach. And... He kind of sung Alan Hale's praises. I also think that he will continue to go and I think he will end up in the professional game as well. And uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. When I put up the podcast, I will tag his um, coaching company, SGL Coaching, and I hope that gets um, people look into that and maybe go and do some coaching with himself for one-on-one coaching because it's, it's thoroughly worth the money and it's someone that I want to see prosper and, and do well in his, in his own coaching and his own business. The show sponsored once again by Live For CBD. Um, I've been using this. I've been really busy at work over the past little while and uh, quite a stressful job. And I've been taking this daily, twice daily, and it's been really just working wonders for me, calming me down in situations where I would normally kind of spiral with a bit of panic and anxiety. And it's kind of controlling that for me. It's something that I'm kind of living by at the moment. And it's really good on the joints as well. And then people go look at it on liv4.co.uk and if you go into the if you're buying anything if you use tsr10 in the in the shopping trolley that'll get 10 percent off and then um, on the second thank you obviously to age clothing who again have just released new uh, track suits in, in all their they're looking at their winter range with bubble jackets they're definitely worth a look at on Instagram, Facebook, and their website, which is Age Clothing. Um, and again, if you put in the the Robcast 10 um, or Robcast 10, and you'll get 10% off there as well. 
both guys or both companies have been huge for me and helping me out with everything. Again, massive thank you to Grant Campbell at Campbell's Footballs, who is actually going to be a guest on the show in the next couple of weeks. So because um, we obviously changed about the late show, Steph ends today, and then that means that Nate Beattie um, will be on next weekend. I recorded the first half of Nate's interview um, during the week. We got about 50 minutes in, and then due to the, the high winds, the, the Wi-Fi had massive Wi-Fi issues and weren't able to complete it. And um, but hey, I'm looking forward to doing the rest of his show. He's got some really funny stories, uh, some really good ones, and he's also kind of very honest and open as well about his boxing career. And he's someone that I've kind of got a good rapport with. He, we've done boxing coaching together, and I've been fairly open in the fact that I want to box again um, for charity, but raise a lot of money and take it very serious. And, and Nate Beatty, along with Lewis and Will, who's going to be who is going to be on the show as well. Both of them guys, I'm going to be looking to, to coach me along with Jamie Miller and the three of them as the guys that I'm going to be looking to put me through the grueling training of boxing and that's going to be vlogged and everything else. That's the three guys that are going to be tasked with turning me from a, a little fat podcaster into a, a into a boxer that's going to raise a lot of money for charity and do everything he can to empty his tank and, and win a boxing match um, that will be recorded and everything. So... That's a project that we're looking forward to that we obviously can't do until COVID's lifted. But that's something that we'll, we'll be pushing on with hopefully in the next little while. So Nate, Nate Beatty will be next weekend on the, on Valentine's Day. So you can um, reward your other half with a, a kiss and a cuddle and listen to the, the Robcast with Nate Beatty next weekend. But I hope everyone enjoyed the interview today. Um, I'm getting good, really good feedback with the, the songs that we've been playing, obviously Electrified by the Capellos, and then you're away to hear the Tijuana Sun again, which is quickly turned into one of my go-to songs when I'm driving or um, chilling out, and then um, both people, both bands, especially the guys that I've dealt with, Kyle McDonald at the Capellos and, and Mark Ferguson um, at the Tijuana Sun. And just lastly, from me before I go and leave you with the Tijuana Sun, I want to dedicate this podcast to Gary Macklund, who um, from Aberdeen, who sadly passed away. Um, I know he's a very popular guy, someone that I've met in passing a couple of times. Don't know him well enough to to say that we were friends or anything, but he's a guy who I know has got a lot of a lot of loved ones, and he he seemed like a very nice guy. And um, a lot of people listening to the show were felt a lot of impact from from Gary's death. So I dedicate this show to him and um, and all his loved ones. And I know the funeral was just at the tail end of this week and I hope everyone got through that okay. Thanks again for everyone tuning in to the, the Sunday Robcast. Thanks again for all the feedback. We'll see you next uh, next weekend and uh, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Stefan and enjoy the T.I. Wanderson. Thank you.